Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I'm your host, Brandy Starr, and as always, we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Helen Baptiste, a COO at Path Factory and a member of the executive team. Helen leads sales, marketing, partnerships, and customer experience and is responsible for all revenue and customer satisfaction. She is also the executive sponsor of the DEI committee. Helen started her career as a secretary and has led numerous go to market team positions, including marketing, customer success, and business development, allowing her to bring an end to end view of the customer journey to playbooks she has developed and deployed. Helen, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Hi, Brandy. Nice to see you again. Yes, I am so, so excited to talk to you. Um, but before we jump all into that, uh, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So tell me what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? So you know that Path Factory is a content experience and intelligence platform. And we talk a lot about long form content and how to break that up into bite sized pieces. And my buzzword banishment word is snackable. Um, I know some marketers love that terminology, but um, I think, you know, breaking it into snacks is good, but making it snackable just it just kind of puts the hair on the back of my neck up a little bit. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that one is one that is overused. Everything yeah. is, how do we make it snackable? How do we make it snackable? Uh <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it's almost like you got to, you're, you're entertaining for a five-year-old, right? Like he needs a snack now. Hurry, <laughs> feed him. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> as I was saying, as someone with a seven-year-old snack king, um, I can tell you that pretty much everything is snackable because he will have a whole meal for and call it a snack and still look for another meal. Yeah. <laughs> and a whole meal is a snack for a 23 year old that I have. So like, it, you know, it's, it, it's all, all relative to what you deal with every day. So we're going to take snackable and we're going to put it in the box uh, okay. and we won't talk about any kind of snackable content at least until the end of this session. Um, so now that we've got that off our chest, uh, you know, I have to tell our listeners, I've known uh, and admired Helen for quite a while um, and have been so impressed by the work that you do at Path Factory and just how you have really taken over revenue. Um, and so today we are actually, it's so rare, you know, I always have the book behind me, or I guess it's on this side, um, but it's so rare I ever talk about the book. But for anybody who hasn't gotten it, CMO to CRO, the, the uh, revenue takeover for the next generation executive and chapter 15 is actually called Introducing the Chief Revenue Officer. And we talk about the CRO 
as being the title that owns revenue. In your case, you are the COO. And really, it's less about the title. We could make up anything. It is more about the importance and benefits of having revenue all under one leader. And so my first question for you is because it's so rare that we actually see that is how did your role come to be that you actually own all of revenue? Yeah. So, um, you know, I happen to be with the same CEO. This is our third ride together, third company together, fourth, uh, three, three exits, fourth ride with investors. Um, and the, the way it came about is that um, I was doing some professional services when he first walked into the company that he came in to take over from a founder. Um, and it's standing up a product uh, in its own right to, um, you know, grow the, the, the arrows in the quiver, if you will, of the company I was at. And that really is about understanding the entire customer life cycle um, from prospect through to what you're going to deliver to what the experience should be in that and building the business model against it. And so when that company exited, he asked me to come and work for him again at another small startup out in Chicago called Item Master, which was the original founders of Peapod grocery, online grocery delivery. Uh, and they were the people that were providing content for CPG to, you know, Giant um, and Peapod and Walmart and Amazon. And it was a very small company. And so having heads of sales and marketing and customer experience didn't really make sense at that time. And because I'd had that experience of running a piece of business, uh, they were Series A funded. And I think they were less than $4 million in revenue at that time. Um, it, it didn't make sense to hire those heads, right? Um, and I think the other part of it is that my background uh, has been, you know, I started as a secretary, um, but I worked my way up uh, with mostly customer facing roles at an agency. Um, I became a customer in some cases. Um, and so, you know, the idea that I'm looking at it from a customer lens every single time, whether that's a marketing effort or whether that's a solutions architect pre-sales experience, um, and then how do we minimize the friction throughout the life cycle internally so that the customer doesn't have to repeat themselves? You know, nothing worse than a salesperson doing a great job selling a, a piece of software. Uh, and then the CX team or the implementation team takes it over. And the first question is, so why did you buy us? Um, you know, like that, that just doesn't make sense. So um, for me, revenue is about reducing the friction in the buying cycle and in the buy the, the, the buyer management after the buyer has uh, has bought. Um, and I saw something really interesting the other day that I thought was uh, interesting. And I think it's applicable for kind of the role that I have when I see marketing sales and uh, customer experience in my role is acquisition of new customers is about changing the status quo. Um, right, in terms of what they're doing, and that requires a different mindset. But on the defense of retaining customers, it's also about maintaining the status quo. So you have to be able to look at it from both sides from the customer's perspective and have the stories and the messaging and the, and the positioning and the motions and the playbooks behind that uh, that are all data-driven and or uh, contiguous in your CRM 
uh, workflows. So revenue operations is my first hire I would make if I was going to be the head of all three positions. That's kind of the one takeaway that I want people to think about is that that person is maniacally focused on optimizing workflows and data and insights uh, for the customer experience, not for the people doing the job. Um, and so that's a, that's a, a mind shift. Most people are worried about what's the dashboard and, you know, <laughs> not what's the handoff from one team to another. And I talk about swim lanes and the relay race uh, amongst my team very often in terms of stay in your swim lane, but make sure you do a nice relay handoff back to the next person that's taking on the job for you. Yeah, and it's interesting. In the last episode, episode 22, I was talking to Ed Frame and we were talking about that post-sale journey and how important it is to get that right. And one of the things that, you know, he stressed in that episode was the handoff, especially when that initial sale is made. So I definitely agree there. And I do think that the biggest benefit is that frictionless experience. Um, and I, you know, I definitely like, you know, give a big woot woot for a RevOps hire being the first, because, you know, one of the things that when we first put the book out and, you know, we started getting people giving us opinions on, you know, whether they agreed or disagreed, they were like, well, why does your plan start with the technology? Like, yeah. why don't you just start by, you know, putting in this leader that you want to have? And, for us, number one, it was, you know, path of least resistance because so many people can't fathom putting all these departments under one head, but it really is the technology that is driving the customer experience. And when those technologies don't work well together, they create friction. And the example I always use is calling into the cable company because uh, everybody has experienced that where, you know, you type in your account number and push all these buttons and then same thing, person gets on the phone and they're like, what's your account number? What was yeah. the point of typing it in? And, you know, all of that before. Um, so what, what do you feel has been the biggest success in having all of the departments under one? So I, I, look, I'm going to put it in the in the spirit of the economy right now too, and I know people are being asked to compress budgets, particularly from the marketing side, or getting rid of headcount in sales or BDRs or whatever it is, and we see that all over the news now. Um, but for me, it's about making sure that we have a balanced experience across, right, and that resources are fine. Resources are finite whether it's one department or three departments that I, I have actually five or six departments. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm allowed to play the shell game a little bit differently um, in terms of where is the money coming from uh, to make those decisions. So for example, <clears throat> I would sacrifice a, a future hire to protect a marketing budget as opposed to, you know, having a CMO having to defend that budget by themselves or a salesperson making that decision in the silo. Um, and so I can also have this transparent conversation across the organization about more collaboration and better alignment as well. And, and I think that that, you know, the other part is for me is, um, uh, you know, I, I, board meetings are the bane of most people's existence uh, in terms of the prep. Uh, the benefit is that I can weave the, the cohesive story throughout the experience 
um, and the plays and, and improvements that I want to make uh, holistically and not in my own silo without, uh, you know, consideration of what other people might be thinking or planning. So I have a lot of, you know, self-discovery questions with me, myself and I, uh, you know, one is sales, one is marketing, one is uh, the, 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 uh, the, the CX side, but the, the opportunity is, is that it's a consolidated view every single time uh, that I can bring to the board and or to the executive team. Um, you know, our CEO and our CFO are very much involved in the plays, but the the strategy of how we go to market is, is delivered by me uh, across the whole organization. And I really love that because when you think about when you have leaders from different departments, everybody yeah. has their own self-interest. Uh, yeah. You know, they have their own people, they have their own teams, they have their own measures of what makes them and their teams look good. And that can, you know, and most often does create competing priorities, yeah. but you can't compete with yourself. Uh, <laughs> you know, it really is best decision. Yeah, I think the other part of it is, is that it allows for a different level of transparency across my team too, right? So uh, for OKRs, for example, each team has their own OKRs, but the whole team sees it across the whole customer journey and all knows how, how we're all going to be successful. And so when some teams are behind, the other teams who may be ahead can actually lean in and help us be more successful organizationally rather than in that individual department. And that is for the betterment of the company and our customers uh, in the long run. It's not us versus them. It's we all pulling in the same direction at the same time together. Yeah. And what we call that is the domino effect because yeah. um, we've, you know, how you line up the goals so that every department's goals are within line of one another so that we can all, you know, be successful. Because I think every marketer has, you know, at least if you've been around for a while, you can think back to when marketing was popping champagne and, you know, patting ourselves on the back, but the revenue numbers were in the toilet. And it's like, well, we did our part, you know, and like sales is getting laid off and there's all these other things happening. And it's, you know, that disconnect. Whereas you're right, when everybody has visibility, the OKRs are all aligned. You know, it's it's not we're not rowing in a circle like we're all rowing in the same direction. Yeah. And I, I think the other part of it for me is that, um, you know, marketing typically gets asked to generate top of pipe, uh, if you will. Right. Um, and for me, it's it's also looking at that net retention revenue that marketing needs to lean into, as does sales, when 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 revenue is at risk or when revenue opportunities from those existing customers through expansion or upsell are available. And, and yet we don't talk about that very much because the play of customer marketing is such a buried, it's buried in the marketing team very often, but it's probably one of the most critical from a you know, growth opportunity, uh, the validation of customer stories um, and the, the work to keep that going in the pipeline uh, it is really critical. And I think that's a missed opportunity for most marketers is they're not really thinking about how does the customer experience enable those customer stories uh, so that we get those moments of advocacy that drive pipe uh you know, and, and we don't get credit for that really in the long run, right? Because it's all mostly measured at, at top of pipe 
depending on what your attribution model is. Right. And so are there any things that you're doing with your various teams to help foster that collaboration and that, you know, thought process that really is focused on the customer experience and the journey and not just on, you know, the typical, you know, vanity metrics that all departments have? Yeah. Look, I walked in and uh, the first thing I asked for was the customer journey post signature. Um, and I believe that the, 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 that is the beginning of a relationship with a customer, not when the sale process is happening. Um, there is some trust built, obviously, to the point that you want people to sign off. And there are various buyers in that process. But in order to maintain the status quo, as I talked about earlier, um, it, for renewal, you have to make sure that the touch points along the journey are documented and you're optimizing for organic interactions. Um, and, and so that is one playbook. That is the first playbook that I actually built uh, you know, with the team at Path Factory was the customer experience to stop some of the churn that we had. Um, and it's things for like, as soon as a contract is signed, you know, it sounds cheesy, but there's an automated email out of marketing automation from the CEO saying, welcome to Path Factory. It's a minor play, but it still makes it credible that they are important enough to the CEO uh, that we recognize that, right? And it's a, a thank you uh, for your business. And, and everybody likes to be thanks, thanked for their business. It's just a minor play. And it's so easy to enact if you have the right rev tech stack and right. you have a rev ops person who understands how to code that, right? Um, and then the mops person working with that that rev rev ops person as well. But uh, for me, it's about what are the inflection points across the customer journey that I can either automate, that I can build plays against, that will protect the revenue so that we can grow. Leaky bucket is the worst problem, and I think most people right now are probably saying, "I got to retain, retain, retain." You got to look at your customer journey map right now. And you got to figure out whether you have the right plays in place for your uh, customers. Um, no, that that is definitely sound advice. And I think right now where we are seeing budgets getting cut and, you know, headcount and all these sorts of things, but the revenue goals are not changing. And so that is one place. It's almost like you can grow just by keeping stuff from falling out of the bucket. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to say, and if you are a SaaS company, it's one of the first metrics that investors want to learn learn about, right? Is that there's an expectation that you will have net retention above 100% if you're in an enterprise sales motion, um, you know, and that and that you better be making sure that that's increasing quarter over quarter and not dropping below that 100%, uh, because depend what your motions are, but that would be one where. Uh, you have to protect what you have. Otherwise, it's really hard to grow top line. Yeah. And I mean, there you think about, I mean, all the statistics show it's so much harder to get a customer. There's, you know, more the cost of acquisition and, you know, all these sorts of things. And then it's almost like a lot of companies just let that drop. It's like you did all that work to get them to say yes. And then you don't put in that same work to get them to stay. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is that you ask permission for expansion, right? If you have good customer experiences and you have people who believe in you, then you can do that. But I think, you know, we talk, we want to talk about revenue in terms of the full life cycle. 
It's also making sure that people really understand the use cases of your product or your solution. Um, and so, you know, you better be enabling them and your own team if they're using your product uh, to understand the full use case uh, possibilities and, and, you know, what the underlying strategies and tactics of those use cases might be as well. Yeah, and I've seen that, you know, we're a service company and a lot of our clients are product companies. And I've seen that on both sides, you know, places where I look and I'm like, well, why do you have this tech when you have this? And they're like, oh, we didn't know that one did that. So we went out and bought this thing or, you know, times where, you know, as a service company, we've seen clients bring in another vendor and, you know, I'm like, oh, are you guys not happy? And they're like, no, you guys are amazing. And I'm like, well, why did you bring in somebody else to do this? And they're like, we didn't know you did that thing. Um, so that is a good point in making sure your team understands all of the use cases so that that then trickles out for your customers. Yeah. You know, I hear a lot from, and I, I mean, true transparency, we've hired Christine P from Forrester. And so she was a keynote speaker at Forrester Summit. Um, but we hear about the fact that there, you know, I hear a lot of people in the, in, in the world talk about sales and marketing alignment, but to me, it's even further than sales and marketing alignment. It has to be a contiguous experience for that customer. And so if your salespeople are sending stories out in that 17% of the buying experience and marketing has warmed them up with 83%, right? Um, and it's a different story. That's that's not a really great experience. Um, take that to when they start to work with your CX team and the story is not contiguous again, that really exacerbates the dissatisfaction. And so, um, you know, I look at it from end to end in terms of what are the stories we're telling in our messaging and, and positioning, um, whether that's a CX piece or whether that's a release note or whether that's you know, top of funnel, uh, you know, thought leadership pieces that we're creating as well. Okay. I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, there are a lot of naysayers that say your role can't be done the way that you do it. Um, and obviously you are living proof, but I have had lots of marketing leaders who have said, you know, a marketing leader can't lead sales, uh, that, you know, someone that doesn't come from, you know, product or, or success, uh, you know, they can't, like one person can't own all of these things. Your background's not that varied. You know, what do you say to that? Why, like, is it just you? Are you the unicorn that allows no. it to happen? Or, you know, I, at the end of the day, I'm passionate about customers. And if you bring that to work every day and you understand how to read a balance sheet, you can do any job. Um, and that to me is the key is that I have worked in sales and I have worked in CX and I've worked in marketing. Um, tying them all together is I am focused on the customer first um, and having the right people in the right seats, you know, Stephen, uh, what's his name, uh, good to great, uh, Jim Collins, having the right people in the right seat on the right bus. Um, make sure that you have the people underneath you that can do the special tasks or strategies underneath each of those roles. But holistically, having that vision and the, the ability to connect the dots and be curious and just deep enough um, it is key. I think, you know, 
there are lots of people who are specialists in whatever they're in, right? So you're a DG person, you're an ABM person. Explore and become a generalist on other things, right? Um, and I think when when you're in large organizations, that tends to happen at the enterprise level is that you are a specialist in whatever you're in. But in small co, you have a chance to step up and try new things. And so if you are in a position where you're doing your job well, you should be asking for special projects. You should be curious and ask the people above you or beside you, can I walk in your, your shoes for a day? Um, because there's not, nothing more than learning about the job that you may or may not love, right? Um, and to me, you have to be passionate about when you go to work. I know you are, Brandy. You, you and I have had many a conversation about, um, you know, what is career and how do you grow? And, um, you know, we've been at various events together. And, and at the end of the day, the common link for people who grow in their careers is that they are passionate. They're curious. They take a chance on themselves and they ask permission to take on special projects. And that's how you learn. Um, and so if you are interested in this role, it's possible. It takes a lot of work, believe me. Uh, but it's it's one of the most satisfying to me because one of my personal mantras is that I want to create resume making moments for people um, in terms of because everybody needs a break and everybody wants something to celebrate in their resumes. And, and right now I'm helping some people write resumes and you know, giving them encouragement. Uh, but for me, it's about also pointing out those resume making moments and, and showing people the opportunity to get those resume making moments as part of my job. And in my leadership team's job is to make them aware of that's a resume making moment for the person that's reporting to you. Here's how you might approach it. Um, but again, it's, it, it's curiosity. It's asking good questions. It's, um, you know, making sure that you're taking care of yourself and your team in the process as well. Okay. And so I know that you have worked in sales before, and I think the biggest argument, so sort of taking the naysayers to a different level is that, yeah, marketing can lean in these other places if they've never worked in that function do you feel like someone who has not actually worked in sales can lead a sales team? Yes. If you are not afraid of carrying the bag. That is the caveat in your, that is the mental block in most people's minds. So when I was approached in the last company to take on the customer, the title was chief customer officer. I had all three teams. My title now is COO. It could be CRO, could be CXO. I really don't care. It was just like, what is the title, right? Um, but the key was in that position was like, you're taking over sales and we're turning this company around. I was like, oh God, like... <laughs> You know, like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Right. But it was a mental barrier of, OK, I'm prepared to take the risk of the bag. Um, and most marketers carry a bag, but don't really say that they carry a bag. Right. And now that people are talking about influenced pipeline or pipeline contribution as opposed to uh, MQLs or SQAs or whatever you want to call them. Right. Um, but I, I think it's a mental mindset and shift for a lot of people that there is money that makes you more exposed because the whole company understands what revenue is, um, as opposed to some of the mythical legendary marketing metrics that you could bluff to the rest of the company if you don't have somebody who understands them. 
Yeah, because MQLs are kind of like statistics. Whatever number you set, you can make it happen. Um, you know, somebody Change with lead scoring. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like simple tweak to your lead scoring and voila, we got more leads. Um, yeah. And yeah, there are, I mean, that's one thing I think has been one of the biggest shifts in marketing over the years has been the fact that marketing now at least has a direct connection to the bag. Um, you know, most won't claim to own any part of it, but you know, it at least is a direct tie. Yeah. And so part of the part of my lead to revenue dashboards is that revenue contribution and pipeline contribution is actually spit, split in campaigns. And most people in marketing would think marketing campaigns. But the, that was the way that we had to do it in Salesforce is that what pipeline has been generated by marketing, what pipeline has gen been generated by BDRs, and what pipeline's been generated by AEs so that I can see whether AEs are carrying their weight in that contribution as well. Um, and so, you know, looking at it holistically allows me that flexibility to say pump up marketing, pump up the AEs, pump up the BDRs, uh, whatever it is in the process. But owning the number is really hard. Building the bottom up model is challenging, but it's really rewarding when you make those numbers for the company uh, and you get to give people their bonuses and uh, hire new people and things like that as well. Yeah, it's always a good feeling when you make something hard happen. Um, and so my, the last sort of area that I want to talk about is I know that there's a lot of, you know, heads of marketing that will listen to this and think this sounds amazing, but, and you know, there's always a, but I only own marketing. I'm generally happy at my company. What can I do to help to unsilo our organization remove the friction from our customer experience and really get us all on the same page. So any advice for those people who want to accomplish what you've accomplished, but don't have the, you know, they don't have the, the, the same scope, like they're, they're more, they yeah. exist in silos today and, you know, they don't have the control. Yeah, I, again, I think it's about asking for special projects when there's an opportunity, if you've got the capacity and you're, you're doing things that you should be doing. But I also think that it's about really becoming customer centric. And I'm going to say that again and again and again. Uh, everybody on my leadership team has an OKR to listen to five gong calls a week. Um, the voice of the customer needs to be infused in the work that they do. And if you don't bring that to work every day, then you don't represent the customer. Um, and so if you are in marketing and you are not listening to calls or attending customer meetings or arranging for fireside chats with your customers to your marketing team, you're missing out. And so the opportunity is, is that you need to become much more customer centric rather than marketing programmatic centric um, because customers at the end of the day, the company owns the customer, the account, you know, the account executive and the CSM doesn't own them. And, the, and I say that to my team all the time, the company owns the customer, the customer pays the company and the company pays the employee. So the, com the customer is owned by the company. And so everybody on the team better know who that customer is. That's a good way to think about it. Um, yeah, I'm sitting here listening and I'm like, okay, I got to get, you know, I'm like, I got to get my marketing managers listening to some of our customer calls um, because <laughs> that, you know, 
is like they're all and I think we all fall into that trap. Everybody's like, go, go, go on all the things that need to get done. But to your point, it really does, uh, you know, help with the messaging, uh, help with, you know, just making sure that everybody is thinking about that customer experience. I think the other thing is, is that making sure that everybody knows that the importance of customer marketing in the story of building the brand um, and the pipeline and the revenue. Right. And so we have a Slack bot that as soon as somebody posts something about a customer saying something nice, nice about us in LinkedIn or whatever, we're we're capturing that so that the customer marketing team can go and chase that person for an act of advocacy directly for us. Um, we also have things from marketing that are organic to things like NPS. Um, we know that when somebody gives us a positive, um, we need to be talking to them about maybe doing a review uh, because we know the importance of reviews in things like Trust Radius and G2 and peer reviews, which if you use those, those are things that are used to find the company and build the momentum of the pipeline. And so you, you have to show the company that you're doing more than just demand generation, that you're actually thinking about the customer experience uh, more broadly. And so that's why I start with the customer experience map from a marketer's perspective, but also what are the plays that I need to put in from a CX perspective to retain that revenue uh, on an ongoing basis as well. Awesome. Well, talking about our challenges is just first step. And nothing changes if nothing changes. So in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client some homework. But here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. So if you can summarize for us, what are your key takeaways? And what is that one thing that you want our listeners to do coming out of this conversation? The customer, customer, customer. Like I, I can't say it enough. Um, customers beget more customers. Um, and so if you are in marketing, you need to understand what's happening in CX. If you're in sales, you need to be a good partner in the transition to CX. Um, and, and the story between those workflows and processes and data, your RevOps person is the person who can make that magic happen and make it such that the customer doesn't have to repeat themselves over and over and over again. Awesome. So what's our action item? What's our one thing? Your your action item is to go and find a special project to oh. expand your understanding of other people's roles and responsibilities. Go and find a project if, and go and listen to some gong calls. There might be a, you know, somebody needs help with something on a, a customer call if you're in marketing or sales or whatever. Um, but identify an opportunity for yourself to expand yourself and your and your learning, right? Um, and then maybe even one extra step I'd say is identify a resume making moment for somebody else and lift them up because somebody has lifted you up along the way as well. I love both of those. So we're going to have an undercover boss kind of moment where we're going to go and do another role, find a special project that gets us involved in a department we're not always. Um, and then no matter what role you're in, I do think helping to lean into someone else to give them a resume making moment. And I so love that term um, is, you know, it's always a good thing to do as a leader um, because you're right. Like, you know, there are so many people who have helped me along the way uh, and being able to give back helps them. It makes you feel good. Um, so that is amazing. Helen, I have so enjoyed our discussion today. 
But that's our time for today. I, I loved it. It was so good. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me. I, you know, I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation. And for anyone listening that has not already listened to episode 22, it pairs very nicely in talking about that post-sales experience and making sure that you have a, a great customer journey and even in, into mapping that out. Um, thanks to everyone else for joining us today. I hope you have enjoyed my conversation with Helen. I can't believe it's the end already. I will see you next time. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.